Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I love the message of that song. They will know we are Christians by our love. Not what we know, but how we live day in and day out. How does that play itself out? And nowhere to me was that more evident and powerful than a year ago as we dealt with Harvey. Just out of curiosity, how many of you were here uh, in here a year ago? Okay, let me just tell you, no, you weren't. Because <laughs> we didn't have church a year ago. <laughs> because we couldn't get here. My son and I got in the car about 8 o'clock to see how close we could get, and it took us about an hour roundabout. We still couldn't get here. By the grace of God, this place did not flood. Many other churches did, and of course, many of your homes did. Dozens and dozens of families in our church did. And, um, it, and that's still going on. I mean, the, the aftermath, people still cleaning up, working on that. Uh, we know that this is, this is a long haul. And what do we do as the body of Christ? We say they will know we are Christians by our love. And that's what you did in the, in the days and weeks after. Hundreds of you went out and volunteered. Some of you through the church, some of your own neighborhoods, through others. It didn't matter. We were out there making a difference. And we continue to do that. In March, we sponsored uh, two weeks of, helped sponsor two weeks of Eight Days of Hope. That brought nearly 5,000 volunteers into our community. And we, um, we know that the work is not done. And so we will be doing that again for a week in mid-October. Uh, we'll again be hosting some of the folks who will be coming. They're anticipating some 2,500 people. And, and, of course, many of us will also join in because they will know we are Christians by our love. And love is an action, and we show it over and over again. And we have to show it because we live in a mad, mad world, don't we? A mad as in angry world, a mad as in crazy world. And in fact, it seems like the world's just getting more and more angry all the time. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but, but it certainly feels that way to me. And as I've talked to others, others seem to have that experience that same thing. There seems to be so much anger and hatred being spewed out all over the place, all around us, whether it's in politics or on news shows or in social media or from some of the people in our lives or or maybe even from some of us. A fairly recent study from China tried to analyze what emotions spread fastest and farthest across social media. And they, they went back and looked at 70 million tweets and, and looked at four key emotions, sadness, joy, disgust, and anger. And they discovered that, that sad feelings appeared to have little or no influence. And somebody posted something sad, it went nowhere. Almost nobody reposted it. And disgust was the same way, almost went nowhere. Joy did do some better. It went a little further. But the emotion that was by far the most powerful was anger. Anger consistently spread further and faster than any other emotion on the web. In fact, at what they call, and this is kind of technical language, three degrees of separation. And what that means is a tweeter reacting to a tweeter reacting 
to a tweeter reacting to an original tweet. Three degrees of separation from the original tweet, there was a greater than even chance that they would tweet something angry, that it continued to spread that far. In commenting on how contagious anger is in this study, Time Magazine noted, this is as much a physical phenomenon as a mental one. Anger gives us a burst of adrenaline and sparks a fight-or-flight response in our nervous system. That, in turn, can lead to a spike in cortisol, the stress and anxiety hormone. This leaves us even more triggered the next time, and all that is terrible for our health. USA Today reported psychologists have known for some time that moods spread from person to person. And the correlation is so strong in social media that some studies have likened online emotions to infectious diseases. The implications of this phenomenon can be staggering. While it's always been true that one person snapping at another can wreck the mood of people in the surrounding area, social media rage can spread discontent across the entire planet. You know, the the more connected we are, the more susceptible we are to the emotions of others. And and the power of emotion, of anger, almost seems to take on a life of its own so many times. And because of that, we see more people reacting more and more strongly. In a a time of social media and 24-hour news channels that are all vying for our attention and and ultimately our advertising dollars, it's even in their best interest to hook us in and stay tuned in and stay following. And anger does that better than any other emotion. And of course, not just the media recognizes. A lot of people, even foreign powers, recognize this and, and have tried to amplify it and use it. Just this week, you may have seen, Facebook says it foiled political influence campaigns originating out of Iran and Russia that targeted U.S. users ahead of the midterm elections. These campaigns, Facebook said, were trying to stir up political discord around hot-button issues with the purpose of swaying our elections, of getting people angry, and, and spreading that around. I love what Sam Ewing said. He said, it's wise to remember that anger is just one letter short of danger. A police officer was asked, what causes you the most fear in your work as a policeman? And he said, anger is my greatest fear. Because he had seen too many people reacting out of anger and harming Many, many people. An American Heart Association study on anger revealed that a person inclined to get angry is nearly three times more likely to have a heart attack than their calmer counterparts. And research by a Duke University psychiatrist notes that 20% of American adults have a susceptibility to anger high enough to threaten their health. I mean, that means one in five of us right in this room Of course, this goes way back. The Bible shows us that the power and danger of anger began almost as soon as sin entered the picture. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we see sin entering the picture. And in the very next chapter, chapter 4, it says in verse 3, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, 
Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. And you may know the remainder of the story. It led Cain to kill his brother Abel. And the Bible goes on to warn often that anger can be dangerous to us. Proverbs 14, short-tempered people do foolish things. Ecclesiastes 7, don't be quick to fly off the hangle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. In Proverbs 22, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, for you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. The Apostle Paul talked about anger in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 26 and look at a few of the verses that are in that chapter to the end of that chapter. You can also use the YouVersion Bible app. If you have neither of those, we have notes in your bulletin that you can pull out that have the Scripture and places to write and take notes. Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 26 begins this way. Paul says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. And if you'll notice, it says and, and then the don't and the end of the phrase are in quotation marks because Paul is quoting from the fourth psalm, Psalm 4-4. And his command here is to not sin. We, we often read that and think he's talking about don't, don't get angry, but it, the actual command is don't sin. It, it's not to never be angry. Paul's concerned that anger doesn't lead us to sin. We need to remember God created us to experience anger. It's actually a normal way we can respond to things happening around us or to us or to those we care about, especially change. Throughout the Bible, we see God, God who is perfect, God who, is, who cannot sin. We see God getting angry at sin. And the Gospels show Jesus getting angry just a few days before his crucifixion when he, he sees vendors taking advantage of Jewish Passover pilgrims who have come, who have to offer a sacrifice at the temple, who weren't able to bring it, and so they have to either exchange their money for Jewish temple money or buy a sacrifice, and they were being abused, paying exorbitant prices for that. The Bible's clear there is a place for righteous anger. When we see people sinning against others through abuse or taking advantage of them or, or simply ignoring genuine needs, it's this anger, this good anger, if you will, that drives us to do something for the sake of those who are being sinned against. If you look at, at many organizations and ministries, you will see someone who became angry about Something bad that was happening who made the decision to use that anger for good. But as we've already shown, anger is powerful. And so it's easy for us to allow it to, to push us beyond a loving, caring response for another to the point where the Bible says we may start to sin. That's the point of the psalm that Paul quotes here, to make sure that we do not allow our anger to turn into sin. He, he goes on to say in verse 26, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, 
Anger is dangerous to our, to our spiritual, emotional, even physical health. So don't live there. Don't stay there. Don't feed it. If we do, Paul says, we're opening the door for the devil to work in our lives. He says, verse 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, maybe you haven't thought of it that way. Maybe that's a a new thought to you. Notice now, and, and Paul doesn't say that the devil causes anger. But he says that the devil sure does like to use it. To further his purposes, as he says in, Jesus says in John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. See, even good and righteous anger can fester. If we don't use it appropriately, it can lead to bitterness. And so the Bible calls us to resolve it quickly. Don't let the the sun go down on it. Someone said, don't go to bed with unresolved conflict or else you will sleep with the devil. And that's not a real pleasant image to me. In verse 29, Paul goes on to say, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear you. And it's interesting, the Greek word translated here in in the version I'm using, the New Living Translation here, foul, and and may have some other translations, some of your other Bibles, but it's used elsewhere in the Bible to refer to rotten fruit or rotten fish. Have you ever smelled rotten fish? I mean, it's nasty. I've been, I like to fish, I've been around some rotten fish. It's no fun whatsoever. And it's a powerful picture of what sinful words spoken or written to others is like. It makes someone sick. It, It can be things like lying or gossip, cursing, slander. Cruel and vicious statements, innuendo, name-calling, belittling, and, and, and you can think of more. Remember, we said anger is contagious. And, and I think social media has a lot of value. This is not a rant about social media. But we need to also understand that social media is not the end-all and be-all of community and communication that there are some things that that social media just can't do well and that we shouldn't use social media in some settings. It's not healthy to use social media to lob bombs at others or to stir people up. And and there's not enough context to dig into issues that that are deep, that that, that can't be just worked through by a quick statement. And yet that's what often happens in our culture today. Someone gets mad, and they just throw something out there. There's some people who seem to be perpetually mad, and they tear down everything that everyone puts out there. But significant anger issues cannot typically be worked out through digital media. I mean, emails and any of this stuff, and and the use of social media can actually prolong or exacerbate anger. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I am amazed at how cold and cruel some folks can be through social media, through, through Facebook, through next door. 
I, sometimes I look at next door, and, and there's some very helpful things on there about community and, and helping. And then there'll be somebody who just throws something out there or is against something or even raises a question, and somebody else starts to attack. And it just turns vicious and ugly. And my guess is often they're writing things that they would never say face-to-face. And so Paul cautions against using harmful language, instead calling us to let everything you say be good and helpful, to serve as an encouragement to those who hear or read what we are putting out there. Instead of angry statements that that seem to have three degrees of separation, in other words, can spread out across three or four generations of people, we ought to be championing kind, encouraging statements, and, in, and using those to spread across social media, to be leaven in the lump, to be here to say something positive and encouraging. I intentionally tweet almost daily Bible verses from my daily reading plan because I want to put out there God's Word. I want to put out there something encouraging. I want to put out there something that may be even convicting, but it's true and that can be helpful. Paul says when we allow anger and hatred to characterize our speech in our lives, God is so sad, so disappointed by that. In in verse 30, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to Christians, to followers of Christ, who through placing their faith in Jesus Christ now have the Holy Spirit living in them, working in them, helping them to become more and more like Jesus. He's telling us that if we choose to follow Jesus, our lives ought to be different from the world around us. The the, the presence of the Spirit, Paul says, identifies us as God's own. Elsewhere, Paul and and, and John both say it now makes us part of God's family. We're His children. And as His children, it says we can grieve Him and, and bring sorrow to God's Spirit living in us when we live and speak and text and in ways that fail to reflect the life of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. When we, when we take something that somebody else does and we just pass it on. When, when we try to get more likes by saying something controversial that just stirs people up. Now, this is not saying we can't have legitimate conversations and we can't discuss things and we can't tweet or post things that are, are legitimate issues and concerns. But we can do it in a way that is, is edifying and building up or at least encourages good conversations rather than, than hate and, and anger. As we've been saying in this series, a, a biblical principle calls disciples of Jesus to be in the world, but not of it. And the Bible calls us to be ambassadors in this world for Jesus Christ, realizing that our home is the kingdom of God. It's heaven. That's our ultimate home. It's not even here and now. And we remember that an ambassador represents another country in a foreign land. 
And while the ambassador interacts with the local culture, that ambassador is always committed to his home, to his home country, to the, and he, he chooses to stay, he or she chooses to stay true to the ways of their land. Guys, for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, we are called to live by the standards and laws of our homeland. When we make a decision to put our faith in Jesus, we say he, he not only saves us, but he becomes my Lord. And a Lord is a master. A Lord is the one we seek to follow and obey and do as they do, to live as they live in, in a way that is pleasing. And so our purpose is to represent the interests of our native land, of heaven, in this foreign land, in this land in which the devil reigns, in which hate and, and, and cruelty is more common than any of us would like. The Bible says in Corinthians in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Through us, through you, through me, through any of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus. That our allegiance is first and foremost to him, not to a political party, not to a community, not to a sports team, to Jesus. And yet when we allow anger to run wild in our lives, when we are more attuned to imitating the world around us, the Bible says we give a foothold to the devil. We allow him in. We allow him to have more influence, more impact through us, followers of Jesus, than was ever intended by us. Maybe you've heard this before. It's not original with, with me. But it's been said the number one reason a person chooses to become a Christian is because of another Christian. As we see their beautiful witness as an ambassador for Christ, and we see the love of Christ being unleashed through them in ways that don't make sense in the world around us. And we say, I want that. I want that in my life. At the same time, the number one reason a person chooses not to become a Christian is because of another Christian. When, they're, when they claim to be a Christian, but their witness betrays Christ and His purposes. When, when our life more mirrors the world around us, and we, get, we devolve down into anger and hatred and bitterness. When we become cruel and unkind. When we claim to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian... And the way we live our life, the way we allow the anger of this world to seep into us, to give the devil a foothold, we are not only tearing down Christ's work and reputation, we're tearing apart the very fabric of our communities and our world. Now, granted, none of us can control how anybody else acts or reacts. We can't. We don't have any control over that. But we can, with Christ's help, control how we act, how we react. And that's why Paul tells us in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. He says, don't let that become the norm for our lives. Put that stuff away. Call on the Holy Spirit to help us do that. 
If we're a Christian, we are not powerless to the ways of the devil. Yes, if we struggle with anger, either through our outward behaviors or, or through our words, spoken or written, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy to change. I mean, I've talked to people who, who have had long-term struggles with anger, many times coming out of experiences in their childhood, and it's hard. It's very hard. We need help. We need encouragement. We need to recognize that anger, some people call anger a secondary emotion. In other words, anger is always about reacting to something else, a hurt, something that was unfair, a fear in our life in which we don't want this to happen. We don't want the change. We don't like it, and anger becomes a way that we do that. And for those of us especially for which this is a a big issue, we may need an accountability partner. Or we may need to be part of a ministry like Celebrate Recovery, which meets here every Monday night. And I guarantee you there are always men and women in there who are working on overcoming sinful anger in their lives. And there are even cases in our lives where it's been so ingrained or it's so deep that, that we may need to see a counselor, uh, a Christian counselor who can, or a counselor who is skilled in this area to help us explore the root causes that are at work in our anger. But more than getting rid of these harmful behaviors, we need to, we need to work to replace them with other behaviors, positive behaviors, encouraging behaviors that reflect the, the, our, the kingdom that we are a part of, that we are ambassadors for Jesus. There's an old saying, nature abhors a vacuum. And the idea that I can just simply stop all these angry behaviors and, and never do them again is probably kind of naive. There's a, Jesus tells a story about a, a, a man who was able to get rid of a demon in his life, but he didn't do anything else. He just cleaned out his life and left it. And the demon wandered around for a while and then realized that because nothing had taken his place, he came back into the man and he brought six of his friends with him. And he, the man was worse than ever. So just saying, I'm, I'm just going to stop without replacing some of these angry behaviors with encouraging ones, helpful ones, positive ones, may lead us back into more anger. Paul says in verse 32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I mean, that's a big challenge right there. Because some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. I have every right to be angry. And maybe so. But is it helping? Or are you just a pawn of the devil? The gift of forgiveness is so that you don't have to carry that hurt with you. There are choices we make in, in lieu of giving healthy, unvent, unhealthy, unhealthy venting of our anger. And, and we need the community of other Christians around us to, to model for us what Christ-like behavior is like and, and what it looks like and how to practice it, to, to encourage us and love on us as we work on this because it doesn't come easy. And even 
to still recognize we will still fail from time to time and that, that a follower of Christ alongside us will still love us in spite of that. And we learn with the help of Christ and other Christians how to forgive and change. This is one reason we intentionally encourage everyone to seek out other Christians in their lives. Not to, not to say that we're not supposed to be in the world, but th- that we also need time with other followers of Christ, whether it's one-on-one or it's a, a small group, whether it's one of our small groups here at the church or a group that you create, that we are to use those to, to give us invaluable tools in our journey as a disciple with Jesus. These groups can be a venue to learn and even begin to intentionally practice what Scripture says, being kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God through Christ has forgiven you. Because listen, if you grew up in a hate-filled environment, forgiveness probably doesn't come natural. And you have to practice it. You have to work at it. You have to keep working at it. And that's why we need each other. The disciple Peter was known as a hothead. But in his time with Jesus, those three years, and and with the other disciples, and and then at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to live in him, it allowed Peter to harness that anger and use it for good rather than being an instrument of the devil's. And so how can we as ambassadors for Jesus Christ and his kingdom be used by him to to tamp down these huge levels of anger that are all around us in our culture? that are in the media, that are in social media, that are, are in maybe some of our lives or some of our family members' lives or in our workplace or in our schools. We may not be able to do much at the national and international levels, but we are not powerless when we have the Holy Spirit living and working in us. We can watch how we respond and, and, and work through social media to be an influence for good, an encouragement, to be agents of love and grace for Christ and His kingdom. We can choose to act differently, even when someone has wronged us. Because every one of us gets wronged. Every one of us. And every one of us can carry that, that, that anger around. But we're the ones who suffer for it, aren't we? We may want to try to get even, but all it does is make us miserable. Instead, we can choose forgiveness. We can offer love. We can offer kindness. Recently, there's been a a, a movie out about a man named Mr. Rogers. Now, some of you may know who Mr. Rogers was, Mr. Fred Rogers, because you maybe watched him and his television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as you were growing up. For some of you, it may not be somebody you know. I I, I know that. He's not been on the air for a, a, a while. But for decades, he offered a children's television show that really kind of went against the mold, certainly the mold today. It wasn't filled with hype, but it offered a gentle, relentless approach to kindness for his viewers. Joni Schultz said, Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister, used television to deliver messages that touched our hearts deeply. Here, Here was a man that as his show began in the tumult of the 60s and the 70s, when there was, where, where were race riots and there were uh, all kinds of hatred about the war in Vietnam and, and all kinds of things going on and all this turmoil, 
that Mr. Rogers could talk to people about still loving our neighbors and doing it in a way that didn't raise the temperature of the room. I, I remember seeing a picture and, and reading about it one time um, back in the 60s. He, he invited the mailman to join him for a time to cool off. Now, the, the mailman was an African-American. And he invited him to come and sit down. And they had a little kiddie pool in front of them filled with water. And Mr. Rogers took off his shoes and socks and invited his postman friend to take off his shoes and socks. And they both put their feet in the same water. And there were a lot of people that didn't like that. But Mr. Rogers handled it with grace and love and like it was nothing unusual. This is just what we do. We love our neighbors. We care about one another deeply. We may disagree on some things. We may disagree on politics. We may disagree on the best ways to handle national defense or, or whatever it may be. But we can disagree agreeably. We can lower the temperature in our culture and be kind and loving. Because if we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, this world is not all there is. There is more to it. And we are the, in the kindergarten of that life. We are learning the skills and the practices that will be the norm in heaven. And he calls us to live that way, to live that way out among us, to show respect and kindness to everyone, as Mr. Rogers did, as each week, each day, he had invited us to join him in his neighborhood. Some of you have seen this many times before, but just watch. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day, beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor, won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. Thought I'd give that shoe toss a try. I never saw him drop it. I don't know if he did or not. See, it is possible to be different. Presbyterian minister, he never mentioned God on that show, but he loved and it came through, and it affected generations of children and people. And you and I can do the same thing. Wherever we are, we can be influences. We can be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in a, in a world that just seems to be getting more and more angry. We don't have to go there. We can be kind. We can be encouraging. We can stay true to our convictions 
Nobody's telling you to do that. But we can be true in God-honoring ways that do not cause us to sin and give the devil a foothold in our lives. Won't you be a neighbor? Won't you be the kind of neighbor you want to have as you go out from this place and live for Christ, to allow his power into your life, to, to follow him as a disciple day in, day out, so that you unleash his love into our church, into our homes, into our community, into our world. We can't change the whole world today. But if you and I love our neighbors, if we're kind and gracious in the face of anger, I guarantee you we'll change some people. And maybe they'll change some people. And before long, maybe it really will be a wonderful neighborhood again. If you need to talk to somebody, maybe you need to talk about anger in your life or forgiveness. Our prayer team is down here, and they would love to be here for you. If you need to find a community, our, our groups fair is going on all in the coffee shop and out here in the whole lobby. And there's so many groups. We've got these, this card, and on the back there's a list, and they're color-coded, and you can look for the balloons to find the one that you might be interested in. And, and we tell you this not because, hey, we want to see how many people we can get in our groups. We tell you this because we want to see your life transformed by Jesus Christ. We want to see you be good neighbors, all of us to be good neighbors, to love. And we need each other in that journey. And so groups are one way to encourage you in that. And if you're a guest today, if you, this is your first time here, you can bring the, 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 uh, the Connect card and just come out here. Myself and some friends will be here, and we'd love to say hello to you and welcome you. We've got a gift for you this morning. So let's close with prayer and ask God to just help us as we face what lies ahead. Father, on this day when we look back a year ago and we see all the devastation that was done by Harvey, we also saw so much good, so many good people who who stepped up and used their lives to make a difference, who were good neighbors. It, it, it sometimes seems like it's easy when there's something hard happening, but, but Father, when somebody has said something that hurts our feelings, when somebody has done something that we disagree with, when something happens on the national stage that drives us nuts, we have a tendency maybe to overreact, to forget that we are children of the King, representatives of ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And sometimes we add to the problem rather than making it better. Father, help us to be your instruments of love and grace. Help us to be good neighbors. Help us to love as you first loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, neighbors. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.